Hello, and welcome to the michaelcrane.live podcast. The podcast is about entrepreneurship and tips for staying highly motivated to make a positive change in your life. Keep listening and follow the podcast to stay connected with the community at michaelcrane.live. So get comfy and enjoy today's conversation. Have you ever been worried that the debt collector will come knocking on your door? Or worrying that when you start your very own first business, you won't be able to meet your monthly expenses? These are common fears we all have when starting a business and in life right now. Today, I have a great man with me, a man I met many years ago at Coots & Co. on the Strand in London. And we have kept in touch ever since. Why, you may be thinking, I'll tell you why. And that's why I've asked Clayton Coke on the Live podcast today. He gives no-nonsense information And when you need to get your debt chased via a client for your money, he is the go-to person I thoroughly recommend. So hello, Clayton. And thank you so much for being on the michaelcrane.live podcast today. Naturally, none of our listeners would like to meet you on the door of their business. So what got you into debt recovery? Hi, Michael. Um, It's fantastic for you allowing me to join you on the Michael Crane live show. It's been absolutely uh, an amazing journey of 20 years. And the fact is, you're quite right. I met you 20 years ago. Your memory is excellent in a lift. And I'll go on to that in the future. But how did I get started? I got started literally just before I met you. I had been working as a legal exec um, for lots of different companies. I'd been working for a firm solicitors. I'd worked in local authority, central government. I'd probably just finished working in-house for a recruitment company. And at that point, I thought, you know something? I think I could go for this full time. I'm going to try and give it a go. And I think we were at a Business Link meeting. And I think Business Link at that time, which I I think that was one of the worst things that ever happened to London when Business Link closed down, because I think it left a lot of prospective entrepreneurs flailing around. And obviously, we were in the in the lift at Coots, which is, you know, it was the only way I was ever going to get into Coots. So uh, it was it was a great opportunity. And as I said, I literally met you going up in the lift and we literally had the elevator pitch conversation. You told me what you did. I told you what I did. We got to the to the floor wherever we needed to get to. And that was the first instance of me understanding how networking works how business works, and those literal five-minute conversations that you have in a lift can last you 20 years later. It's a fascinating uh, point you make. Who would have known that may have been where the phrase, the elevator bitch, got its name from? Two people in a lift going to the seventh floor 
and arriving and that mutuality to do business and become friends that we don't see each other for a number of years. But it's really quite interesting how our paths have come together today. Most definitely. The Michael Crane.live podcast, Clayton, is about entrepreneurship and for business owners and for also entrepreneurs starting out on their journey. What should we be doing when it comes to managing the risk with our clients and preserving cash? Well, Michael, it starts from the very beginning. From the time that you decide, I am going to go into business, or if you've got one of these um, uh, millennial-styled side hustles and you decide to move and transfer onto making this your full-time business, there has got to be a completely different mindset. Now, the fact is, is that all business involves risk, as you and I both know. However, how you manage that risk is effectively how you get out of it. Some people They like the fast and loose excitement. I'm an entrepreneur. I've got money here. I've got money invested here, blah, blah, blah. Some people are more like, well, I don't want to spend a fortune on growing a business because I'm scared I might lose it all. And the problem is entrepreneur lifestyle or the entrepreneur lifestyle, I should say, is considered very sexy now. But 20, 30 years ago, You never saw the CEO of a business. You never saw the CEO of BT. He was usually some pretty old guy who looked like he'd had a few more pub lunches than he should have had. And he was then in that position where basically he was the person that the investors saw. It wasn't somebody like we look at Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk and those types of guys at the moment. They are front and center of media. A CEO or a managing director was somebody who was very much in the background. You only saw he or she if something incredible happened. So therefore now for entrepreneurs, the reason why they're in a position where risk is so important is because most entrepreneurs are now front and center. If, for example, take somebody like Karen Millen. Karen Millen had the the the, the store which basically had some very, very nice clothes for ladies. Absolutely fantastic. She sold Karen Millen. But a few years later, she decides, I want to pull out Karen Millen homeware. So she goes along and sets up Karen Millen homeware. But the people that bought Karen Millen clothes and other accessories from her said, hold on, lovey. You've made a mistake. You sold us your name. So now poor Karen Millen, at the end of the day, found herself with a double whammy, a massive tax bill for six million. And also at the same time, which is given to her by some advice that she got from her accountant. But at the same time, she found herself in a position she couldn't even use her own name. So that's what she risked and that's what she gambled. But also at the end of the day, it created an environment for she put herself front and center. So different people want different things from entrepreneurship. And that's the first thing that you need to establish. Are you a risk taker? Are you not a risk taker? Are you prepared to lose your home? I always suggest to people, if if you've got a partner, a cat and a dog, and you want them to be safe, don't be a big risk taker because it ruins your your life full stop. 
And the most, the key thing that ruins most business lives is debt. That's the key thing. Often, you know, and that's, that's what drives a lot of people to lose their businesses and to take a bad punt at entrepreneurism. Isn't entrepreneurship about taking risk? Because if you're not, if you are risk adverse, you're not going to go into business, I fear, because a lot of, of it is uncertain issues. And entrepreneurship also, Clayton, uh, we find a way when we start. And one way leads to another way. And one path takes you along another path to another destination. So I see that. You, you, you must have an element of, of having that risk in your life if you want to be in business. I agree with that. But I also think that there are certain entrepreneurs who are absolutely crazy people. <laughs> and there, and you, you have to have that thin line between what I describe as calculated risk and stuff that's just stone cold crazy. Because there are certain people who have an idea and you say, this idea is never going to fly. Okay, so we'll, we'll go back to your point, the point that you made about that you have to have a certain element of risk. The guys that came up with Airbnb, they were literally eating cereal out of a box you know, basically in order to get their idea going. And they, what they'd, uh, I, I, if I hear the story collect, correctly, what they'd done is that they were, they'd created this breakfast cereal thing and they were selling it. I think it was called Obama O's or whatever the case may be. That couldn't last forever because obviously at the end of the day with politics, it's a fast moving situation. They realized that they, they, they didn't have much money, invited people over to stay in their properties, provided a breakfast, realized this could be a business idea. And if you think of all the ideas that exist at the moment that are really big, and for example, you've got Airbnb, great business, but actually no, it's like a hotel without no properties. You've got um, uh, uh, Uber, who effectively almost had a taxi service without any cars of their own. And barely any employees, which has changed now. All of these business, and you know, Amazon, a, sh- a shop which technically has no shops, but is able to basically get all of the infrastructure to make your stuff appear at your door the next day or the day after. So, I believe that risk is important, but sometimes I think people take unnecessary risk just because they want a level of excitement from business. Do you, going on to the uh, Airbnb example you use, I too think that is a fascinating business. Yeah. It's a company that have very few properties and they're selling an experience. How do they do that? They are leveraging other people's money and asset to achieve things great things for their business. And they have just launched as an IPO on the US market. So from a debt collector perspective, is this the right way to do, to build that recurring revenue, to use somebody else's money so the debt collector doesn't come knocking on my door? Is that the right way? If you're lucky and you come up with the idea that people are ready for, it's like if we go back to video recorders, Sony and Betamax. 
Oh, so, you know, Sony Betamax and VHS, I should say. My apologies. The difficulty is, is what Betamax was better than VHS, but VHS had more titles and more backing. So therefore, at the end of the day, Betamax is history. VHS is, is history, but it's history that we remember well. Leverage, leveraging other people's resources or, for example, I saw a great program the other day um, about, uh, I like watching business reality programs. It's the only guilty pleasure that I have. And the classic ones I like are things like the hotel inspector, um, uh, which, which, which is great and tells you how people can mismanage business because they don't know what they're doing. Leveraging other people's um, uh, facilities like cars with Uber or properties with Airbnb, that's fantastic. But most businesses just don't work that way. To keep the debt collector from coming to your door, it's effectively what you need to do is to be able to have a service or a product that people are willing to pay for, that are gladly ready to pay for. For example, you pay your money up front to Amazon. There's no guarantee you're going to get your goods, but you believe that you're going to get your goods based on past experiences. Previously, Amazon used to have a hell of a time and lots of problems with people and their stuff disappearing, you know, all over the place. But they've managed to create an infrastructure that really makes sure that they get paid up front, which is extremely important. If you can get paid up front in your business or, or your service, then that helps to a certain extent because that keeps you ticking over. I've got, for example, a client who is does data management and cabling. He used to be, in, he'd come to me and say, oh, Clayton, uh, oh, you know, I, I've done business with this person and it's 10 grand and, you know, I, I, I can't get the money off them. And I would say to him, why don't you get the money for your materials? Because the problem is if you're able to leverage materials for the next job going forward, you're more likely to be able to stay in business. However, if you can't get the cables, you can't get the wiring for your business, you cannot then keep being in business in order to make more money. If you lose money on a job because you're in a position where you don't get paid yourself, you might be able to swallow that. But when you don't pay your suppliers, that's when that becomes a problem for you. That's what happens to builders and people in construction all the time. It's an interesting point you make because uh, certainly from an Amazon point of view, they take their money up front, which in, in fact makes them and always will make them a very cash-rich business. Correct. I think things are going that way more and more often, certainly with the pandemic, people are more cautious with giving lines of credit than ever before I think. But I just want to ask you, what is the life cycle of a bad debt, in your opinion? In simple terms, if you haven't been paid in 90 days, you've got a problem. Simple as that. that, that that's when you know you've got a bad debt. And 90 days is usually accompanied by you can't get them on the phone. You don't get any response to emails. You don't get any response to letters. That's when you know you've got a bad debt. Every business 
should be looking at their ledger every 90 days and finding out what's still on there. Now, I'm not saying that they'll be able to deal with every single case or every single invoice, but in terms of late payments, once you get to 90 days and you haven't been paid, you have a problem. Simple as that. That's the, that's the, that's the benchmark as far as I'm concerned. Even our pricing structure is based on that. Our pricing structure is, is if at the end of the day, if a debt is um, um, below 90 days, you're paying a 15% recovery fee. If it's over 90 days, you're paying 17 and a half because you've just made and created a situation for yourself where that has basically gone over the edge and your likelihood of recovering that money diminishes greatly. That doesn't do, discount people who why got do you use, 90 days. Why do you use 90 days? Because uh, for, in my opinion, most suppliers want their money within 30 days from the Correct. date of the invoice. Correct. So are you saying I need to wait an additional 60 days? And, and the second question relating to that is, when should a company start speaking with you with regard to that debt? Or are you saying it should be on 90 days and not a day? Oh, before? definitely not on 90 days. I mean, the reality of it, it depends on your relationship. If you're coming to us new and you just wake up one morning and you get through to switchboard and you get through to me, I don't know you, so I don't know your business. I have to find out how your business works. So, But I also have to find out what you're like as a person because the difficulty is this. Your business may say 30 days, 60 days, whatever, but if you're not a person, and this comes back to the risk aspect of it, if you're not a person who is determined to chase your money, then it doesn't matter what I say to you. You are not going to pull the trigger if I say to you, it's time to go to court. So, for example, what you get is a lot of people who, there's a difference in, in mentality. And I'll give you what I see as a stereotypical American mentality and a stereotypical British mentality. Now, you do a job for a guy called Wilbur in America. And Wilbur will say, buddy, you did a job for me and, you know, I, I want my money. I want my money now. I want my money now. They've got guns over there, so it can get really quite a bit scary. But when they want their money, they want to be paid and they expect to be paid. Now, the British attitude is, uh, let's call him John Smith. So John Smith then basically says, oh, I've done a job for you, uh, Michael, and, um, uh, you know, I, I really think I should be paid for this. And, and, and I don't want to say too much about it, but, you know, I, I do think you ought to pay me. But the problem is, is that John Smith doesn't have the gumption to get involved with somebody like me in order to say, Clayton, can you facilitate the recovery of that money? Because I need that money. What the British person will do is they will then Go along to a uh, factoring company or a credit facility and borrow more money and say, oh, I'm going to get paid from these people at some point in the future, but I'll borrow more money on, in terms of my business so I don't have to deal with the confrontation about asking for my money from Michael Crane. And that's how most businesses in the UK deal with money. 
they would rather borrow and borrow and borrow until it becomes totally uh, unfeasible to do so. Today's show has been sponsored by www.teameasycrane.co.uk. We help you build your business and grow recurring profits. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. So at what point should a company start engaging with you to recover the debt? I would say a minimum 30 to 60 days. That's not how most people find us. Suppose somebody's listening to this and thinks, do you know something? I need to make a note of this company. I need to make a note of this guy for the future. I'm going to start looking at my ledger tomorrow and I'm going to start working through it. 30 to 60 days. Most people come to us at 90 days. And the reason why they do that is because they're living on a promise that they're going to get paid. So 30 to 60 days is when you should be looking at your ledger all the time. But what I have to say, Michael, is this, and this is what makes it difficult. When you build a relationship with somebody in business, it's very difficult to then go back and say, we we're having a nice chat the other day. We had a few beers. We were watching the football, blah, 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 blah. But can you give me the money that you owe me? Most of the debts have a personal element attached. And once you become personally involved, it makes it very difficult to go back and say, you need to pay me my money, please. And that's where the problem is. That's where the difficulty lies. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. That's why I very rarely go to the pub with top <laughs> yeah. clients and, and and get into that interaction because asking for the money has potential to ruin the relationship straight off the bat if you're not careful. And that's the reason why people get involved with us because we can still maintain the relationship, but we then facilitate the action. of getting, A lot of the times it's embarrassment. We don't talk about things like that. The British are very uncomfortable talking about money, extremely uncomfortable talking about money. So, but as far as I'm concerned, my job is to facilitate that discussion. Is there a problem why you can't pay? Is there a difficulty why you can't pay? Are you short of funds? Okay, you're telling me this. My job is to help to facilitate that payment. So from the point at which a company would come and engage with you, Clayton, what is your typical process? And what dates do you typically use? Well, for us, it's very simple. It's about establishing the type of business that it is. If you're in construction, for example, you know there are long waits in construction. But I'm sorry, construction guys, there's a lot of dodgy people in construction. And because you've got a hierarchy system of contractors, subcontractors, sub-sub-subcontractors, people that are doing day work or whatever, it's very difficult in terms of that kind of recovery. But really, to be totally honest, most people would come to us and within seven days, we've got a letter out basically explaining our position, explaining that we're acting on their behalf, on our client's behalf. And our job is to facilitate a discussion. That's, that's a simple thing. And how long does it normally take to get the money from the client once you've started your process? Okay. It can take sometimes as quickly as 24 hours because sometimes people forget or they forget on purpose, but we don't want to talk about that. Um, uh, But people do forget. So that happens. And then it's all good. 
the relationship is maintained and we can all then, you know, um, skip along and live happily ever after. Worst case scenario, if you go through the court system, you're talking about three months. That's, that's, that's usually about a minimum, but it depends on how complex the debt is. If it's, uh, if it's quite a serious debt or the points are quite contested, that can maybe go to six or nine months. But it really, for the most part, three months, you should get some kind of recovery within that time. Have you ever had any really embarrassing moments when going to a customer's doorstep to chase a debt? Have I had any embarrassing? Not particularly, because I think, number one, our business, when when I first met you, we were not, we hadn't formulated our business offering. We were all over the place. We knew we wanted to do debt recovery, as we called it, because I came from a legal background. So debt recovery is the name that you use as opposed to debt collection. The public likes the word debt collection because they know what it means, but they don't like it when it's applied to them. So when you go to sort of um, networking events, what happens is people find out that you may be the debt collector and they duck into the toilets and hide from you and stuff like that, which is it's really sad, really, because I'm stuck there, you know, holding a glass of wine and somebody just disappears and you never see them again. But <laughs> so, so that's, that's more embarrassing, really, than being in a position of turning up because because we are business to business, the only reason why either I or my colleagues would turn up would be to check that the business is still there. So really, to be totally honest, if you're a business and you're a limited company, if you've got a registered office, that's your registered office. Sometimes that can be somebody's home. I'm not going to turn up at somebody's home um, uh, or my colleagues are not going to turn up at somebody's home. It's, It's unnecessary because I know it's your home. It's a, you know, whatever it is. So unless you're running a shop from your home, which is unlikely, and Google's not going to give you that information, the reality of it is I wouldn't get involved in that kind of thing. It's not about causing embarrassment, and that's the key thing. It's about saying to people, we know you may be short of funds, but you've taken goods or services that need to be paid for. So how can we do this so you don't feel embarrassed and our client gets paid? It's a balancing act. That's a real great point of view there, because if someone, if we think about this logically, if someone uses a product or uses a service, they automatically know that there is a cost associated that will need paying. Needless to say, there are some rogue people out there that they they do business, but actually we should call this theft yeah. straight off the bat. Without a doubt. The interesting thing about this pandemic and the government pumping billions of pounds of stimulus into the UK economy, now is coming the time where people are going to have to start paying this money back. Oh. Now, this is a $64 million scenario. But where do you think we're, the government and we as business owners are going to struggle 
in the next phase as we come out of lockdown from a financial cash flow perspective? I think a lot of people are truly unaware how bad the situation really is. I think by being in our homes, watching Netflix, you know, being sort of diverted by the football and not going to the shops on a daily basis, that we don't actually see what's actually happening in the streets. I mean, I live in South East London and Catford, which is uh, up the road from me, if you go down the road, the high street, every other shop or every two or three other shops going down there is closed. You know, when Argos closed it in Catford, I thought to myself, this is never going to open again. It's never going to open again. And lots of other shops followed suit. I think a lot of businesses were feeling the pinch, SME businesses that is, were feeling the pinch just before um, before COVID kicked in. And what COVID has done, but masked at the same time with Brexit, what's going on, those two together are going to wipe out a lot of businesses because there are a lot of businesses that don't have an adequate business model. Their, their businesses don't have any kind of structure to it so that they can necessarily survive in terms of what they're doing. I think a lot of people have been caught in and lured in by the sexiness of entrepreneurism because we always see how people are successful. We never get shown the pictures of people that have bloody lost everything. My wife's left me. My dog's left me. My cat's left me. Everybody's gone. My kids don't talk to me anymore. We all see the people that are successful. And realistically, not everybody can be successful. And Brexit plus COVID will expose that. And now we're getting to the stage where Rishi Sunak, current chancellor, is basically saying, your furlough party, it's got to end. And you know what the problem is when you've been to a really good party? Somebody's got to clear up. And this is what is going to happen. The clearing up is what's going to expose a lot of businesses not having the capital. Lenders are, are, are lending as far as property is concerned, but I don't know if they're going to be lending as far as business is concerned because half of those COVID loans are never going to be repaid. They're never going to be repaid. Either those businesses will crash or people will close the businesses and take the money. Who knows? But the fact is, I think people have got this idea that everything is is going to be fine and dandy. I think that we've got some serious problems ahead and some serious unemployment headed towards the end of the year. When, you know, because if you go into, into central London, I mean, at the end of the day, places that you fought, would be doing well. I, you know, I would be going into Marks and Spencer's. Half the food would be discounted because they had such a thriving lunchtime trade and an after-work trade that people were buying all of their stuff. But nobody's going to work. And I think the British public, to a certain extent, have got used to working from home. And I think this is where the difficulty is going to be. The idea of being stuck under somebody's armpit on the tube on the Northern line fills a lot of people with dread. And they like this hybrid working lifestyle. They like being at home. 
And this is what I think is going to be a fascinating challenge is to, will we ever get back to normal? Because a lot of people now want to leave their jobs because their boss is saying, oh, you know, something, yeah, you could work from home, but I want you in the office. And they're saying, I'm yours, mate. I want a job. I, I'm going to become a YouTuber and I'm going to go to Bali and I'm going to send videos. That I, I don't have to work for you in your office anymore. That's where the problem's going to be. And we've got an immigration problem now. We've told everybody to leave. <laughs> now we've got nobody delivering the fresh fruit and veg. Nobody picking the fresh fruit and veg. We've, we've got a situation that a lot of people don't understand. And all of this trickles down to your SME. The SMEs are the lifeblood. Forget all the big shots. The SMEs are the ones that keep it ticking over. We're the ones with our weekly Zoom meetings, our weekly networking meetings that keep business moving. Because unless we get up and we meet people at 8 o'clock for a breakfast meeting, 12 o'clock for a lunchtime meeting, and 7 o'clock in the evening when we're knackered and we're still going to another meeting, unless those things happen, this country doesn't move. Well, that's a very flavoursome outlook on the UK economy. Let me throw a few things in there. Go for it. To aid the conversation a little bit further, because I think it's really, uh, it's really a, a really interesting perspective you share. We have more money in our pockets because we haven't been anywhere for a year and a half. So doesn't that paint a different picture? to what you're saying right now? Yes and no. We have money, but people can't. People would normally have saved that money in terms of saving it long-term because you get interest. Now, the interest, as you know, is completely rubbish. But people are scared. They're not saying that they're scared, but people are scared. That's the reason why the public reacts in particular ways. There's a certain anxiety. And the anxiety is, is that, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow because things keep changing every day. One minute there's a lockdown, one minute it's all over, one minute I'm wearing a mask, one minute I'm not wearing a mask. People are unsure. So a lot of people have money and the ones that have saved money are thinking to themselves, I could blow all of this, but what happens if I lose my job in three to six months time? What if I, what will I then live on? Because I can't get another furlough. So we do have a lot more money. But the fact is, let's take the millennials. The millennials have a lot more money, but they're spending it on different stuff because they can't buy a house because they can't get a mortgage unless they've got some ridiculous deposit, which they don't have. So if you're still living at home with mum and dad, you're going to spend your money on experiences. You're, well, you'd like to spend it on travel, but if you can't go anywhere, you know, you can just about go to the pub. But and that's what your, your money's still there. Because what can you spend it on? You can spend it online, but the stuff that you buy online, half of it you're going to send back via the post office anyway. So there is money in the country. Quite, you know, there, there's no two ways about Britain isn't a poor country, but we've still got people using food banks. So you, you, there's, a, there's a lot of dynamics going on here. There's a strong possibility that people might start spending and they may start spending once um, uh, uh, there's a prediction that there's going to be the roaring 20s that, you know, that after, uh, after the pandemic of the so-called Spanish flu, 
what happened afterwards is that everybody went crazy in the 1920s. Everybody's having the flappers were out. Everybody's having a fantastic time. But then came the second, or was it the second? Yeah, no, the First World War. What's the second? No, that was after the first. Yeah. The Great so Depression then, came first. Yeah, Depression. That's the what I'm looking for. My and apologies. between the Depression and the end of the Spanish flu outbreak, yeah, that's what it is. wiped out a third of the global population, by the way. Mm. We had a severe market crash. A market yeah, that's crash. What that's and, it. Thank and, you for your... And, and, you know, it's really quite interesting how... A, an awful lot of business fell within five years. Correct. So it takes a long time to sustain itself. Correct. I actually think if we use that example in the reverse, we really won't fully understand the impact of what's happened in the last 18 months. Remember, not only COVID-19 and the pandemic, but Brexit and the challenges we are being faced today. It's a fascinating subject. If only we had a crystal ball. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the difficulty. I mean, none of us know. I'm just, I'm hypothesizing. But the fact is, my, you talk about entrepreneurs and risk. I always talk about entrepreneurs and gut feeling. And I think gut, and this is, this is another business tip to a certain extent. In terms of you asked me some questions about whether or not how people can recognize debt in their business. The, one of the biggest mistakes that people don't get is they don't trust their gut instinct. I can assure you that in the time of you doing business, there were certain clients where your gut told you, I shouldn't take them on. But you ended up taking them on and then realized at the end of the day, my gut was telling me it wasn't right. And I think that sometimes with a lot of people's because we want turnover, because we want sales, we don't understand that a sale isn't a sale until the money's been paid. And what we think is the sale, it isn't a sale. What we've done is created a problem for ourselves for three to six months when we're trying to get this money from somebody. Our gut instinct told us we should never have engaged in. And I also want to add to that the types of products that are unusual when people are inquiring into your company. Yeah. So Clayton, just wrapping the uh, podcast off today, tell us more about your future plans. Well, PRMS, we're coming up to, in February 2022, we'll be 20 years old. Um, I wanted Congratulations. To do an- Thank you very much, sir. You've weathered um, many a storm <laughs> oh, and calm seas. <laughs> and there will be some more to come, I can guarantee it. But 20 years, thats it's been a, a long while, but we feel that we've actually created the offering that we're happy with and we think that our clients are happy with. In terms of the business, I like it as it is, but what I want to do is we want to be able to help more people. That's what we're about as a business. People ask us how we got into late payments and debt. But they never ask us why. And the why is we feel that every business and every SME business should have the ability to be able to access services that help their business grow. And one of those services, managing late payments. 
That's the most important thing. We want every business who listens to this podcast, who doesn't sit there and say to their wife, oh, my God, we're owed £2,000, we're owed £10,000, we're owed £20,000, and I don't know what to do. Because that person, your partner is going to say to you, so what are you going to do about it? What you're going to do about it is called PRMS, because that's what we do. And we don't do anything else. We don't do criminal law. We don't do divorce. We don't do anything. We just deal with late payments and the recovery of those payments. We want to provide the best service possible for SME business and for professional services businesses, because those are the areas that we cover. And it's for people to move away from their embarrassment, which is hard, but to enable themselves and empower themselves to at least be in the same level as the big boys that they want to become. And cash is always king. In oh, cash is, cash is king. If you've got the cash, then you are in a position to grow your business. So how can people find out about PRMS Limited, Clayton? Well, and do you have a special offer for them? Do I have a special offer for them? Let's put it this way. We tend not to do special offers, but if people come to us, via this podcast and they say that they've heard us on this podcast we can work something out for them let's put it that way um but that's between us and them in terms of finding us they can find us on the web www.prmsltd that's papa romeo mike sierra lima tango delta.co.uk I am on LinkedIn, Clayton Coke. You can see, you'll be able to see my smiley face in the picture and match it to the person that they think it is. Um, so you can find me there. I will be popping up very, very shortly on a, quite a few things. There's a few things coming in the future that people will be hearing more of my comments if, if they have managed to get over it from, from this podcast. Um, we can, we're on Instagram. Uh, we're at, at PRMSLTD. Twitter at PRMSLTD and on Facebook as PRMS Limited. And we've actually got our own podcast, which I will like to ask you to um, uh, return the favor and get you on them, uh, Michael. We've got a podcast called The Cash Flow Show, um, uh, where we actually interview entrepreneurs, very much the same as Michael does here. And we basically get a little bit more personal and find out what their likes and dislikes in terms of things, books, um, um, uh, music, films, and just to give them a sort of a, a lighter feel. So it's not as business-like, but just a bit more casual. So that's where people can find us. And, we, you know, be feel free to reach out to us. You can email us at info, info at prmsltd.co.uk. And we will bring the episode to an end right there, Clayton. I just want to thank you so much for your time today. And I very much hope that our listeners will enjoy listening to our podcast today. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have a business story to share, please reach out and contact us on michael at michaelcrane.live. To hear more stories from entrepreneurs and business leaders, make sure you hit the subscribe button on iTunes and Spotify so you never miss an episode. We look forward to having you back for our next podcast show. Thank you.